honor of the word of God as I read from Acts and then from Luke. Acts 22, 3 through 21. I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness that of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Luke 21, 12-13 but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. The word of God for the people of God. about uh, the testimony that Paul just gave and giving our testimony and how we can do that. Um, we've had a lot of 
just blessings, you know, here at Grace Harvest Church. We've had just uh, new people come and really get involved and support Teresa and I in the church. We've had an amazing uh, blessing of a worship team come together uh, just this year, really, and uh, come together. And last week, uh, we had some visitors, some I knew, some I didn't, and one did know that we didn't have a worship team the last time they were here, and we were using videos, and they said, how do you put a worship team together and play that professionally and that good? I do not understand it. How did that happen? And I was like, I really don't know. <laughs> the Lord orchestrated it. And so, but that seems like, you know, kind of what he's done, you know, all of my life. I try to stay faithful to the small things he's called me to, and God seems to, you know, do all the rest. Um, one of our elders here, uh, Karen's dad, that was here for a long time, Bill Yates, had a little plaque in his office when he did all the business administration things, and he would say, it said, God, real big, is in charge of the small things. Is that right? And then in little writing it said, all the things are really small. <laughs> so his point was that, you know, God's in charge. And so I'm thankful that he's called you here today to be a blessing. And we've been having some fellowships. And uh, uh, Don and Jerry Hatley hosted the last one. It was a real blessing. People are just getting together and be able to get together and meet one another. And then, you know, we have our Christmas dinner coming up, and that's a time to get together in fellowship, December 5th, and come and have a meal. We're going to have it catered by a chef in town, and it's just a fun, relaxing time, and it's a way to get to know others and, and new people coming into the church and old people that are in the church that you haven't got to get to know. And so this morning, I will be doing some teaching on giving our testimony and then I just thought by way of example uh, for people to be able to introduce themselves to the body and for you all get to know them. Uh, I asked Bob yesterday. We had a kind of a little cleanup day here, and that was a blessing. And uh, I asked Bob, Bob Wilhelm and his wife Janet if they're going to come together, uh, however they want to do it, and just introduce themselves to the body and give their testimony about how Jesus encountered their life and the difference he's made in it. Welcome, Bob and Janet. Thank you. Bob and I had to talk about this. He says, you go first. <laughs> so I said, that's fine. Thank you so much for the privilege of being able to share a testimony. Um, it's always a wonderful, wonderful way of expressing what God's done in our lives. Um, I worked for a pastor for many, many years who always said, each one of us needs what's called an elevator testimony. That if you got into a skyscraper and you got on the ground floor, and by the time you got off at the hundredth floor, you would have sh been able to share what Christ meant to you. And so even though we are not in an elevator, um, that's about how long this will last. It's not very long. <laughs> Um, I was uh, born into a very warm and loving Catholic, devout Catholic family um, whose parents, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> whose parents 
could see no other road but to give you a, um, give all of us, I'm one of four daughters, uh, give us all a wonderful um, parochial school education. And I was educated by nuns and lay teachers who did a wonderful job. I mean, they gave us a great education. I knew about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, they, um, I knew about all the saints that had carried the faith through the centuries into, and they were highly revered, as was Mary in our church. Um, I went to Our Lady of the Wayside, so Mary w was always at the forefront. And as a little girl, I can remember, gosh, I wish I was special like Mary. But God seemed so distant and far away to me. Now, I had a sister die a year ago, uh, July, and that was not her experience. She always felt close to God. But I always felt like God was very far away, and it was hard to reach, reach him. So during my college years, I, um, I decided I wasn't going to believe in God anymore. That was too elementary. That was, you know, I bought into all the, the um, it's a crutch, you don't need God. There was all that nonsense going on in the universities back then, too. But my senior year, I was in a really dark place. And as God would have it, someone started sending me a little magazine with testimonies in it. It's how important testimonies are. And I would, my, my heart would just grieve because I didn't have those kinds of relationships with God. But I wanted it desperately. So I was a runner back then. I would get up early in the morning. I would run. And so I thought, I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to start talking to God. And so that was very different for me. And so in those talks, I started to list out what I wanted in life. And uh, Bob is actually one of the answers to those talks that I had with God, which is really neat. Um, so something began to ignite in me that I didn't know what to do with. I didn't know how to get any further. Anyway, we were married, and I met a wonderful woman by the name of Debbie who started to share her love of God, her love of Jesus. And she was about my age, and I was like, where do I get that? I wanted that so desperately. So we were newly married. We had a little apartment. And I uh, went home one day after talking to her. Because she says, well, you just ask him. You know, I was like, is there any magic words you're supposed to say or anything like that? But no. So I went home, and I sat on the couch, and I said, okay, Jesus, just do it. <laughs> I had the Nike slogan before they did. <laughs> but something came over me unbelievable. It was a peace and a uh, <coughs> kind of a shaking inside, and I was like, I didn't know what to do with this. It was incredible. It wasn't until later that I um, realized from Ephesians 2, 8, for grace had fallen on me, for it says, for grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It was a gift from God. 
the very thing I had been asking for for so long, God gave me a gift. It was just incredible. The first thing I did was go out and get a Bible. I had never owned a Bible in my life. Never really read a Bible. I didn't know all the books of the Bible. That's not what we had been taught. We had been taught about the saints and the this and the that and the doctrines and the catechisms. But I didn't know the Bible. And I started reading. And a group of ladies that Debbie took me to this Bible study took me under their wing and they began to love on me and share with me. And it's never ended. Now, that gift of grace is still with me today, 43 years later. And um, grace has brought us through a lot of joy and a lot of grief. We've had a lot of sorrows, ups and downs like everybody else. The gift of grace has helped me grow continually as God's daughter, a wife, a mother, a teacher, and a friend. He says, and a grandmother. Can't forget about that. His love slowly called me into ministry in which he has given me the privilege of sitting with many people over the years in their hard places of life as a pastoral counselor and then now as a chaplain. I use my own testimony a lot to encourage others in their own story. Life can seem very hopeless and joyless, but with God and the help of available um, medical and mental health communi communities, um, he can move mountains. When I look back at all that God has faithfully moved in my life, I am in awe. I was thinking this morning, you know, if we're here in Rio Doza now and we're here at Grace Harvest Church, and I think that I've been waiting a very long time to find this place, <laughs> and it's a sweet spot. Um, I just thank you very much for allowing me the chance to share my testimony. Well, good morning, and I now know I should have gone first because <laughs> if you're expecting that kind of eloquence out of this mouth, <laughs> I had to make notes because I'm tend to chase rabbits on trails if I don't stay focused. So um, I do know that my name is, I was born Robert Joseph Wilhelm. As Pastor said, you can call me Bob, and occasionally people call me Larry. <laughs> my parents were both Roman Catholic German farmers. So I was born, raised, and schooled in the Catholic Church. My parents come from both, both come from very large families. I have 40 first cousins on my dad's side <laughs> and 40 first cousins on my mom's side. She had two brothers and each of them had 11 kids where the term sibling rivalry, rivalry first originated. They didn't believe in birth control, and they didn't have TV back then. That's why they had to <laughs> As Janet said, I knew about Christ, but I didn't know him. When I was 16 years old, 
I don't know how experienced you have, and I'm not knocking Roman Catholics because I've heard some good things lately. My dad admitted to me that it was possible for a Roman Catholic, someone who is not a Roman Catholic, to go to heaven. Aren't you guys all surprised by that? But then I met Janet. And then I met Jesus. The two best gifts in my life. I started meeting Jesus through something called the Full Gospel Businessmen's Association, which was in the area we lived in in southeastern Illinois. And I also met him through a Catholic priest who was born again and spirit-filled, Father Dean Braun. In March of 81, after listening to a lot of testimonies, I knelt and received Jesus as my Lord and Savior and the Word and the life. And since then, it's been a journey with all the mountaintops and valleys life has to offer. When I was 29, Janet and I left the Catholic Church because we, we were told that we shouldn't read the Bible because we would misinterpret it. And I know some people have misinterpreted the Bible, but seven years ago I retired from the military as a, as a career and I will tell you that life is good. And I look forward to serving as led by the Holy Spirit. I'm reading a book right now, which I can't ever, I think it's called The Third Calling. It talks about what you do after you grow up and then have a job and raise a family and on the next stage of life. And for me, it's all about serving. And one of the phrases in there says, if I'm still here, I'm not done serving. Philippians 1.6 says, our Lord who has began a good work in you will continue his work until it is finally finished when, he, when Christ returns, either for all of us or for me. And my life verse is Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. And as Janet said, I echo your words, we are very blessed to be accepted in this body of believers as great fathers. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our Amen. Well, I think as, as we've seen from the, the text that we wrote, uh, read and what we heard, was a testimony of people bearing witness about Jesus Christ and the difference that he's made uh, in their lives. Uh, just join me in another word of prayer. Father, I pray that hearts would be encouraged, uh, be strengthened, be refreshed, and not just for knowing about Jesus, but for knowing of Jesus, real in their life. And I pray, as, as mentioned, when we know Jesus, the word comes alive. Because Jesus is the word, and he's living, he's resurrected, he's alive. And the word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So, Father, bring your word 
whoever provided some day our hearts between what this us and what is you, Jesus. The reality of who you are, God, through the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ is, and the power of the Holy Spirit living in our lives. Let that be made real and life-changing. Let us encounter Jesus today, right now, I think maybe if you've heard both testimonies, you'll kind of see a pattern of introduction. You'll see that there was, I was brought up this way. This is where I grew up. This is how I grew up. Then you'll see maybe this is how I was educated. You'll see some of that. Then you'll see a lot of times, here was my past life. This is what it looked like. You'll hear some of that. You hear some of that in what we read, all these things. And then you might hear, here's some mentors that helped encourage me along the way, teach me in Christ, helped, they were important influences in my life. Then you'll hear about how they carried that forward into their life, how their life was transformed, and now they're servant witnesses of Jesus today. And then it kind of said, basically, you'll have, you know, upbringing, our education, our past life before Christ, our encounter with Christ, and how we will be witnesses for Christ, just like somebody was a witness to us. Amen? So it's, it's those things that we see in our text today. Paul starts out, I am a Jew born in Tarsus. So he begins to say, this is where I was born. This is the town that I'm, I'm from. He's giving this testimony back in Jerusalem. He's come back to Jerusalem knowing he is not going to be accepted there. He's been warned all along to not go back. And it even involves the Holy Spirit. The prophet comes to him, takes his belt off, wraps him up and says, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going this way. The man that has this belt will be bound. Paul says, I'm not only willing to be bound, but I'll die if I have to, and I'm going. And it's an interesting warning, because the warning says it comes from the Holy Spirit, but yet Paul says, I'm ready. I know that's what awaits me. And Luke recorded in our text today, in chapter 21, verses 12 through 3, that Jesus had said this. He said, they will lay hands on you, they will persecute you. They will deliver you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be a time for you. You think, that, that'll be a time for me I don't want to know about. But he says, this will be a time for you to bear testimony, to be my witness. So you know, you know, there's got to be some discouragement in Paul. He's gone. He's met with the believers there, and now the church in Jerusalem has grown. There's thousands of believers there now. They're encouraged, but the synagogues and the leaders are all uh, still or most uh, not receiving the message of Jesus, So, and they're vehemently against it. And so Paul is uh, beaten 
beaten so bad that when he's brought to uh, testify here, uh, they have to carry him. One of the guards has to carry him. So he's beaten pretty bad. And he gets up and has this testimony to give. Like, this is my chance, you know? It's amazing. It's powerful. I like to think of myself, uh, and maybe this will encourage you. I know I'm a little silly. I'm a little kid. I get excited about things. I'm the youngest of 12. Bob outdid me. I didn't have 40 first cousins. I maybe did. I never did count them all. But because my dad's brother had nine kids and we had 12, so we were up there. And that was one of the first questions people asked me, you know, was, uh, were you Catholic? <laughs> and I was like, no, nope, wasn't Catholic. Second question was, were you Mormon? And I was like, no, nope, wasn't that either. We were just, we were just Christians that were baby boomers. My dad served in World War II, and my oldest brother's born in 1941, and my dad went and served in the war, and my oldest sister's born in 1945. And my mom had 11 kids in 15 years. So, and I'm the youngest of that. And I, I do get excited, I, you know, and, and maybe too excited. Maybe I'm, I over-dramatize things at times. Please forgive me sometimes. Because, uh, I mean, a lot of that's just me. That doesn't have to do with the word. But it just has to do with my personality. Uh, so, but I like to try to encourage other people to get a little more excited. <laughs> because... I would like you to, like, think if you were there, because that's what, that's what I do when I read the Word. It does. It, it becomes alive. I, I, don't, I don't just read it like it's dead. It, like, I think I'm, like, there, the story, you know, like, I'm, I'm watching it, you know. I want that in God's people. And, you know, the testimony was real powerful to, this morning when Bob said that, you know, and when Jesus when he encountered Jesus for real, it was like, that was one of the things that happened. The Word became alive. It's no longer like a dead book. You know, it's living. And that's what the Bible says about itself, that it's living. And so, you know, it, it is. It's, it's alive. And so I like to picture myself there, man. Paul's beat up. I see that. I see him dragged. I see him carried. I see the in him, you know, I want to be like that, you know, beaten, dragged up, and then say, it might kill me, you know, it's, it's like, you know, like, would I or could I, you know, and he gets up, and he just begins talking, you know, and you just know it's not, not him, it's exactly like Jesus said, you know, I will speak through you, you know, don't worry, you know, about what you're going to say, don't overstress about it, it's good to prepare, it's good to have those preparations, but you know, then when you give it, it's like just let the Holy Spirit, you know, lead you and guide you. Be prepared and be willing to let him take over. And so Paul's getting up. We, will, we see that he's had an encounter earlier in Acts, in Acts chapter 9, and, and Luke records what's happened. Now he's getting up and telling that story again. And it's as he tells it, He's telling it before uh, the governor here, in, uh, or the leader in uh, Jerusalem, and the elders there, and he's getting up and telling it. And you'll notice it's a little different from Acts chapter 9. So read Acts 9, where Christ encountered Saul of Tarsus. And then read here, where he's telling about it. Isn't that cool? So you see what happened, 
and now you hear him telling what happened. And he says, I'm a Jew. He begins with where he's born, his upbringing. What was his upbringing? But he was brought up in this city. He's in Jerusalem, so he spent a lot of time in Jerusalem. Whether his parents relocated there and moved there and he was brought up there, which a lot of people believe did, or right after that, of course, he says, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. So he's talking about his education. I was brought here to Jerusalem. I was taught by one of the best teachers that uh, there was. You all know about him. Uh, Acts 5 says about Gamaliel. In Acts 5.34 it says, But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. So in Acts 5, you, you see how Gamaliel was a leader. He said, listen, these men that are preaching Jesus, remember when this guy came and he was, you know, led this revolt and 400 men started, and Gamaliel gives this great wisdom. And you know what? That guy ended up dying and the whole thing just went away. And he said, and this other guy rose up and he got this big following and this big revolt started happening and they pulled all these people away. And then that guy died and it all just went away. He said, maybe that's all these guys are doing, Peter and John. They'll, they'll, there's a little big uprising for a while, but it'll all just go away. But if it is of God, and you fight against it, you'll find yourself fighting against God. So he's kind of like, just let these men have their thing, their heyday. It'll go away like everything else goes away. And that was Gamaliel's advice, and it was good, and they took it. But he was a leader, and he led that way, and so they warn them and threw them out. But this is who you see that Paul was brought up under. If you heard the testimonies this morning, Bob and Janet, each one of them talked about a mentor that was important. Janet brought up Debbie. Debbie was there. Debbie witnessed to her. Debbie was there to help get her into a Bible study afterwards. Debbie helped mentor her. We all need that. We need somebody in our life that comes, helps us with our, you know, encounter with Jesus. So it's not just our upbringing, but our education. Where, where we uh, not maybe just went to school, went to college, where he mentioned those things, and that's important, but also who led us uh, in the Lord, who helped teach us, who was a mentor to us. And so there's some of that education. For Paul, it was Gamaliel. After this, he said, from there, he's brought up in Jerusalem, he's trained under Gamaliel, from there, he received letters from the brothers uh, to go and persecute Christians. He was uh, vehemently against it, and he's headed not just to what he did in squelching it in Jerusalem. Uh, Saul of Tarsus, he was a, I mean, you see from his testimony here, uh, he was quite intimidating uh, in his pre-Jesus life uh, in a bad way. He was, he was uh, raging, anger about this new thing because it hadn't gone away it didn't just go away they killed the leader they killed Jesus and did it go away still talking about today you don't know any of those other guys right that, that Gamaliel mentioned you don't there was people before there was people that came after huge revolt huge uprising and Rome had crucified him too we don't know any of them it did die away different about Jesus with Paul's preaching what's different about Jesus is he's alive 
he's resurrected. And we're not going to shut up about this. And 2,000 years later, this idiot's still up here and not shutting up about it. And I'm not going to, by the grace of the Lord. Amen? Amen. So he says, he says you know, I was going to Damascus, and I was going to bring them in bonds back here to Jerusalem to punish them. And he was going after men and women. Paul uh, did not distinguish. So he was doing that. So then you hear his, that's his past sinful life. Pretty short, what he was doing there. But then he's going to bring up his encounter with Christ. Here's his conversion story. And all of us have an encounter with Christ. I thought, you know, uh, Bob and Janice was just powerful this morning. And each one of us have a powerful encounter with Christ that people can relate to. You might not relate to mine. You might not relate to those this morning fully. But there are people who will relate to your story. It might even not be the person that you're talking to. You might be talking to someone in the grocery store, and that person rejects what you're saying, and, and the, the, the grocery clerk or somebody over here heard that. That's happened in the world. Uh, one of the greatest revivals that broke out, a lot of times God just comes in waves uh, that broke, broke out in, uh, in Scotland and uh, Ireland. Uh, the, the person that w- went to the island uh, was testifying and was in a marketplace and witnessing and witnessing to this person and had complete failure and then witnessed the island, uh, pushed in the island, testified in the island, left with zero success, zero converts. But in that one place, in that one marketplace, one person overheard the conversation and it transformed their life and they got saved. They went back to their church and started saying, you know, preaching Jesus, and people got on board and started getting saved, and basically hundreds and thousands and just a wave swept over. And it wasn't over the person that person was witnessing to. It was an overheard conversation. Isn't that amazing? I mean, studying the uh, uh, the, the waves of God, you know, just of, of God breaking out and, and saving thousands, you know, off of one person coming to the island and witnessing and witnessing and pouring out their heart and just feeling rejection after rejection after rejection and leaving, going back to England, and all of a sudden, boom, it just starts happening over somebody else that just heard the conversation of that. So when Paul's preaching before these governors and kings right here, and he gets dragged in Acts 26 before King Agrippa, because he's fulfilling that Luke thing before governors and kings, he's witnessing. You see rejection, you see corruption, looking for bribes, Uh, That was common in the Roman court system of that time. You see all these things, just left in prison for a couple of years. And it looks like with these kings and governors, Paul's having no success. He's having no success in the synagogues, uh, you know, very little. And yet, the gospel's being proclaimed, right? There's gatherings listening to Paul's defense to that governor. And what's happening in their hearts? What's happening? We don't always know, and we don't always see everything that's that's happening, and most times we don't. So Paul's on his way to Damascus. He has this experience with Jesus, and he's encountering him, and Jesus says something really interesting here. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and, and Saul answers, who are you, Lord? 
And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Jesus takes his church, you his children, very personally, you know. And so when you're rejected, and Jesus tried to say this to his disciples, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the gospel in its purest form. And if they have a reaction to it, it's a good thing because they should have a reaction to the gospel. The gospel is confronted, uh, and it's confronted to these kings and governors and to these people. And, and you can see that there's a deep reaction here. So Jesus says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And so this is a very personal message uh, to the apostle uh, who is called by Jesus here. So after he, he's uh, mentored, his mentors, uh, uh, he runs into a mentor after this. Okay, this is like uh, Debbie, right, Janet? So like for Paul, it was Ananias. So he's, he's, he goes there to Damascus, go on to Damascus. And so he goes, and it says in verse 12, and one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. Now in, in Acts 9, when uh, you know this happened, there was some controversy with Ananias going there in Acts 9 when, when you know, because he was coming to Damascus breathing threats, it says. I mean, just, ah, I mean, fire coming out. Man, I've got letters, I've got authorities, and I'm going to crush this Christian heresy thing to the ground. Man, I can just see the, the raging red uh, view from Tarsus, man, Saul of Tarsus. And, 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 and you hear, though, in, in, in Paul's testimony that the pain of, of this past life of his, too, of what he did. And you see some of that in his other testimonies. But here you see that encounter with his mentor, and that's what we want to uh, give, you know, praise for God in our life that helped uh, disciple in us and, and lead us. Uh, for me, it was uh, Mike Crane, and he was this guy that came. I, I, uh, I, my senior year in high school, right after I graduated, my dad, I got to go with him to Oklahoma University where he had attended college, and he had had all these boys and. They had played football in college and scholarships and all these things and done great things in life, but I was kind of a little runt, so I didn't have that potential. But he, he came to me and he said, uh, you know, you could, you could probably wrestle because you, you, you go against people your own size, so I'd end up wrestling. And my dad was so proud that I was going to go to his alma, alma mater. None of his boys had. I mean, they got scholarships to great schools and things. But I got to go spend this time with my dad that as a, in a big family you don't get to do. And so I got to do that. And I had this special time. He, he showed me the uh, where he uh, met my mom and had their first date. And he was reminiscing. And I never got to see my dad like this. And after we came back, uh, my dad uh, had, uh, my mom had died when I was young and my dad remarried. And when he was taking her uh, to uh, Artesia from Roswell on the way back, they were driving at night. And my dad's vision had been kind of failing. He had already had like one cataract surgery he had glasses and everything, but whatever happened, he was in a wreck and was killed. And I came home from uh, visiting my friend. I was about to go to OU, you know. I was about to go to his alma mater and everything. And I came home and found a note on the door uh, that Dad had been in an accident and to, you know, get to the hospital. And I did. And the Lord spoke to me there, uh, very real. I was praying, please, Dad, I mean, please, Lord, don't let my dad be dead. And I got to the street 
and got to this one stop sign about a block later and he said, quit praying for your dad to be alive. It was a firm voice. I was distraught. You see how I get all broken up easy. And that's kind of my personality. And I was broken up very much over this. And I was sobbing, crying. I was like, please, Lord, please, Lord. And I was praying and I got just a little ways. I mean, not even a block down from my house to the first four-way stop. And the Lord just stopped me right there and he says, your, your dad is with me. Quit praying for him to be alive. I mean, just like a firm father, man. Boom. I was like, yes, sir. And I just drove in silence to the hospital. And I got in, and my brother came to me, and he grabbed me, and he hugged me, and he said, Dad's gone. And I said, I know. Just like that. I, the Lord drew me up. <laughs> and it was through things that happened and pain. But that experience of having with him before began to just dawn on me that was so precious to me that I had with him. It was a, a real s setup for me to know that I got to spend that time with him. But when I was at OU, I was still distraught, all right? The Lord's mercifully, graciously working in my life, but I have about a week to get ready to go to college, and we're selling everything and throw whatever you want in your car and your house is going to be, and, and you go to college on your own. But we were always on our own to a certain degree. You're brought up to take care of yourself very much. And so I loaded up my trunk and uh, was heading off and I got to my dorm room and a guy came and knocked on my door right after I met my roommate. And his name was Mike Crane. He was one of the first guys that came and knocked on my door. And I could have gone a lot of different ways at college. Even though the Lord was really working in my life, I could have gone a lot of different ways. And, and, I, and I was tugged even after all of this in all different directions away from the Lord. Uh, but Mike kept me, you know, because he said, hey, would you be interested in having a Bible study? And I was like, wow, this is different, you know? And I said, and I looked at Rick, who I just barely met, and I mean, we're like unpacking our stuff. And I said, hey, Rick, uh, I don't know much about you, but would you mind? Uh, oh, yeah, because I said, yeah, I want to be, yeah, I want to be in a Bible study. And he goes, ah, oh, good. And he like took this big, deep sigh, and he said, could we have it in your room? And I said, like right here in our room, our dorm? Yeah. He said, you're the first person after three floors that I've even found that's interested in having a Bible study. And so he said, can we have it in your room? And I turned to Rick and I said, Rick, I don't know much about you, but would you mind have, if we had a Bible study in our room? And he said, yeah, I'm a Christian and I want to have a Bible study here. And so in my room was a believer and we met the two guys. One of them was a walk-on to the OU football team next door, another guy. And we were just talking out in the hall, and we said, we're going to have a Bible study over here. Uh, well, really, after that, Mike said, would you go with me? Because I'm not having any effect on anybody. And I said, yeah. And so we went to our, the next room next to us, and the two guys there, I'm going to shorten the story, were Christians. And they said, we want to be in the Bible study. And like, wow. And, and Mike's like floored. He's like, are you kidding, both of you? And he's like, yeah. We both go to church, and we want to be in a Bible study while we're at school. And he goes, well, we're going to meet in Bobby and Rick's room right next door. And he goes, oh, that's great for us. We'll have the Bible study. And, and Mike goes, well, let's go to the next rooms, man. This is going to turn out great. <laughs> we went to seven floors because I thought the same thing. Man, this is easy. And we got one other person. So we had five in our Bible study. Uh, and, you know, so Mike was a mentor. He's my Ananias. And Ananias goes to the Lord. I don't know if you've heard, Lord but I've heard about this Saul of Tarsus. He's a mean guy, and I don't want to go there. You know, he's like, 
what's he going to do? If he finds out I'm a Christian, I go to him to, to witness to him and do what you say, Lord. He's got letters. He's got authority. We're, we're hiding from this guy, not going to him. And the Lord reassures him to go. And Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of all, he goes. He's obedient to the Lord. And it's a tough situation. And uh, so Ananias is one of Saul's mentors. And then he receives the word uh, about his calling. And in verse 15 it says, For you will be a witness for him, for Jesus, to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And really that's all God's asking. He's not asking me to make up something, try to make it anything more than it is. I know sometimes when I tell stories, you know, maybe they seem dramatized, but that's the way I feel them and that's the way I experience them. And and they're just powerful, you know, and moving, you know, a, a lot of times when God in, interacts with me. Uh, but whatever your story is and however you want to tell your story, I love cool, calm people, man, that can just get up and just, you know, tell me the word just direct without bringing in any kind of hype with it, man. Just, you know, I love that. That's who I listen to a lot. But I'm not like them. <laughs> I'm not like them very much. I mean, they can tell me that same message, and I can go tell that message, and it, and it comes out totally different, you know, because it, it comes through you. And, and allow the Lord to take, you know, who you are and to give your testimony and be a witness for him. And it's really simple, just saying where you're from, where you were brought up, maybe how you were educated, who was your mentor, and how you encountered Jesus, what your life was like before. And this is what I did before, you know. And uh, now look at me. Look at what Jesus has done. Look at the difference Jesus has made in my life. And that's being a witness for him. Amen? Our testimonies aren't always, um, you know, fully all of these things. Sometimes we're on an elevator. We have to shorten it. We're on a train, uh, and like a subway train. We got on a train once to when our son moved to Chicago, and you know you're on and you encounter somebody, and your next stop is you know 90 seconds away. They might ask you a question, you know, about where you're from, and that might lead into I've got 90 seconds with this person, and maybe his eternal soul, you know, is on the line right here, and it might be a rejection. It might be no telling what. But maybe someone over there sitting there was listening and go, wow, that guy said this thing about Jesus, you know, who is he? You know, I mean, we're in a, in a world in the United States now where uh, we're, we're, we're non-Christianized. There's people that have come up and told me that have sat right in here and, and said, you know, when you were talking about those stories in the Bible and you were going back through, I don't know anything you're talking about. I don't know any of those stories. And so... Uh, there's several people like that. Uh, it, it is uh, an opportunity to share with them the gospel. But sometimes we just share encouraging words. And Karen had a real encouraging word today about a dream she had a year ago. And I think she wants to share it now. <laughs> While she's doing media. I don't know, everyone would have to turn around. Just come real quick. 
I can't see you, Karen. She needs to be in this mic. I don't even remember how long ago it was, maybe six months, a year. I had a dream. We all have dreams. Um, I don't always write them down or think they're from the Lord. But it was just so beautiful. Um, Bobby was sharing about the clouds he had seen a couple of Sundays ago morning. And um, so in the dream, I'll just shorten it. I was in this house, a large house with a lot of people in it. And um, we were talking and just all together for whatever reason. I don't even remember that part. But it was raining. It started raining inside the house. And we're like, what's going on? What's going on? And continued to rain. And as would be natural, um, we, start, we went outside like, why is it raining in the house? <laughs> and I went out, and there were these huge clouds kind of picturing what Bobby was seeing, um, billow big clouds off in the distance, and I saw Jesus break through on a horse in the dream, and just like what you kind of imagine at his second coming, and um, so I just was so excited, and I started jumping up and down going, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, <laughs> And I, I mean, I just, I, I want that so much. And I know you guys too do too. I don't know what it'll, what it'll look like, really. But um, it's going to be glorious and good. Amen. Amen. So sometimes you can just give testimonies like that. Just praise reports about God maybe speaking to you in a dream or vision just encouraging people about um, that's our word and we're sticking to it <laughs> we're going to take communion together and we sing one final song Anything with, is without faith, it is sin. Well, that categorizes a lot of sin, doesn't it? Uh, we might not categorize sin that way, but that's what the Bible says sin is. And without faith, it is impossible to believe God. So it's impossible to please God. So the only way you can please him is by faith, by faith alone. And you can take communion and it's without faith and it won't mean anything to you you can be dunked in water and maybe have some dirt washed off of you and it won't mean anything to you uh, but you can be believe in the blood of Jesus Christ and it's transforming power and when we take by faith these elements that the Lord commanded us to take when we get together and it can be powerful in your life and transforming always let's take this uh, by faith when you're baptized, you can just be dunked in water and not change, or you can believe in the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus.
saved and born again. These are terms in the Bible. And when you go into that water, you're identifying with the death and resurrection of Jesus, and it's real and powerful. So in all things, uh, we need faith. We need a trust in Jesus and what he's done for us, and this is what pleases God. So as we take communion together, we take it in faith, believing that what Jesus accomplished at the cross can save us eternally us holy so in the night that jesus was betrayed he took bread and he gave thanks to the father for it and he said this is my body take and eat it and remember me let us take together in like manner he took the cup said this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood given for you for the remission of sins in our liturgy today Teresa read that the greatest miracle of all is the forgiveness of our sins what a powerful healing from that that ails us and makes us sick sick in our soul body mind world in our society Jesus comes to destroy the works of the devil and wipe out sin this is the power of Christ this is the power of Christ in me it's the power of Christ in you let us partake of this cup of the new covenant and remember Jesus' death and his shed blood that wiped out sin he destroyed it Praise him as we sing this closing song.